Good morning. Good to be with you today. It's a privilege to share. Michael last week encouraged us and he said something that New Hope does very well that we care for one another. And when Leanne and I were looking for a church, that was one of the most spiritually attractive things about New Hope was the love that uh, we have for one another. And so well, we've been members, I think, since January, and uh, we're glad to uh, be here and to grow and serve with you. What I'd like to do is I'd like to uh, start out reading Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to read it out of the message. So what I would like you to, it's going to be on the screen, but what I'd like you to do is listen. Listen to the words, and I'm using the message because I, I, I think it says exactly how we need to hear it. Um, and this will be the best word we hear all day, God's word. In light of all this, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk, better yet, run, on the road that God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline. No infits and starts but steadily, pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. You were all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction, so stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. But that doesn't mean you should all look and speak and act the same. Out of the generosity of Christ, each of us is given his own gift. The text for this is, He climbed the high mountain. He captured the enemy and seized the booty. He handed it out in, in gifts to his people. It is, is it not true that the one who climbed up also climbed down, down to the valley of the earth. And the one who climbed down is the one who climbed back up, up to the highest heavens. He handed out gifts above and below, filled heaven with his gifts, filled earth with his gifts. He handed out gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, to train Christian followers in skilled servant work, working within Christ's body, the church, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully matured, mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. No prolonged infancies among us, please. We'll not tolerate babes in the woods, small children who are an easy mark for imposters. God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth and to tell it in love, like Christ in everything. We make our 
We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in love. So I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there be no going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. They've refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch not only with God, but with reality itself. They can't think straight. Feeling no pain, they let themselves go in sexual obsession, addicted to every sort of perversion. But that's no life for you. You learned Christ. My assumption is that you have paid careful attention to him, been well instructed in the truth precisely as we have it in Christ. Since here is, since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with the old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on the entirely new life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately produces his character in you. What this adds up to then is no more lies, no more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other. When you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as a fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Did you use uh, to make ends meet by stealing? Well, no more. Get an honest job so that you can help others who can't work. Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps, each word a gift. Don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly, as thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for everything that we have in Jesus Christ. Open the eyes of our understanding. Lord, help us to walk worthy of the calling of Christian. God, we pray that you would grow us for your pleasure and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've been privileged to be part of Christian ministry for uh, over 30 years. And uh, I think God grew me right along with the congregation. And uh, I can say Leanne and I, our, our lives are filled with God's faithfulness his grace and his mercy. With my background, coming from a broken home, um, 
My expectations of ministry, I think, were different than, than most. After being in the, the ministry for a few years, I was taken back. Uh, I was surprised at the amount of hurt that I saw in the church. And there would be occasion where someone would come up and they would say, how can someone that is going through so much turmoil, how can they even be saved? And I confess it, at times I wondered myself. Because the church, how could the church have this unity and, and togetherness when there's so much hurt and hurting? And then there were the words of Christ when he said, this, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Well, I thought that growing up in the inner city setting and coming from a broken home and 25 years of ministry, I thought I'd seen just about everything. About eight years ago, I started a counseling ministry with the Family Impact Center of, of Livingston County. And after the first month, I was shocked. I mean, I was emotionally affected by what I saw. I have no idea that there was so much hurt in the Christian home. In the last several years, I've... Uh, <coughs> probably heard more uh, foul language and aggression than I had in the previous years of ministry all combined. How do you get from I do and until, until death do his part to I'll kill you? I said I'm sorry. What's the big deal? Two events have helped shape my thinking when it comes to God helping the hurting. The first one was a couple that I was counseling, and I thought things were going pretty good. Uh, we were making baby steps, and they'd at least stop screaming at each other. One day I was out in the yard, and the husband came driving by, and he pulled into the driveway. He rolled down his window, and he said, Hey, Lloyd, it's done. It's through. I'm, I'm tired of trying. I'm going to ask for a divorce. I said, What do you mean it's done? Did you have any idea what you're about to do to your boys? His face got so red and just rage. He backed out of the driveway, squalled the tires, and came right back in, popped out of that car, and came right towards me. And now he's screaming so the whole town can hear him. He says, you have no right to judge me until you've walked a mile in my shoes. I said, well, I haven't walked in your shoes. But I have your boy's. I said, look at you. You've become the person you never wanted to be. You're your dad. And maybe worse. 
because you know better. We stood there in, in silence, and he got into his car and drove off. I felt so bad for him because I knew what he went through. I knew the kind of childhood he had. But he was about to do the unthinkable, repeat history. Later he called and he said, well, I, th I think we'll keep working at this. And they did. The second thing that has affected me was a book that I read. It came out in the mid-90s and uh, Sandra Wilson uh, wrote the book and it was based on her uh, Wilson's Law of Relationships. And it's simply this, hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. Unless you change the cycle. Let me give you an example of this. Back in the 50s, there's a, a Baptist preacher and his wife, they have seven children. The, he, the, the pastor, has an affair with someone in the church, lady in the church, and runs off with a lady in the church and divorces his family and never sees those kids again. The lives of those seven children were a train wreck. The relationships through life imploded. And the hurt was just passed down. The good news is that there are grandchildren that are breaking and changing that cycle. What I'd like to do is just share some personal observations about hurt. I think they'll help us and kind of keep us thinking along Paul's lines. First, hurt happens. Wouldn't it be nice if we could avoid it? It's part of our lives. We will be hurt, and we will hurt. But it shouldn't become a cycle. It should be incidental, not intentional. Hurt is real. But we do tend to minimize other people's hurt. Now I want you to understand, just because someone doesn't handle their hurt correctly doesn't mean they're not hurting. It means they don't have the coping skills to handle it. Next, we're very hurtable. We hurt easy. <laughs> and I do wish uh, we could just work on not being so offended so easily. My former pastor's wife gave me a, a nugget of, uh, of gold for advice. When I was entering the ministry, she said, Lloyd, she said, don't take what people say personally. It's not you. It's what they're going through. And that has helped me for 30 plus years. We often ship, ship, shift our hurts to others. And as much as people is, have written on this and, and, and uh, books are out there, 
I still don't understand why, but it's usually the people that we love the most. We have a tendency to resent our pain and to nurse our hurts rather than claiming God's grace to help us through it. God heals the broken and the hurting. There is nothing too hard for God. God uses the hurts of life to grow us. This one, just think about this one. Sometimes our deepest hurts become our most effective ministry. And this should make us all smile. One day all hurt will be gone. Well, what do hurters look like? Look to your left. Look to your right. You saw one in the mirror this morning. Who do herders hurt? Husbands, wives, wives, husbands, parents, children, children, parents, siblings, and the ripple effect just goes. I'd like to do a little narrative of, of two people that were hurt in Scripture. The first one is Joseph. Now, just like his parents before him, Jacob favored one of his kids over the rest. And that caused all kinds of heartache and injury in that family. Um, now, I know that all of us here at, at some point or another have thought of really mean things to do to our siblings. But can you imagine staging your brother's death, selling him into slavery for the rest of his life, and then living as it never happened. So we know that Joseph goes into Egypt. We know that Joseph uh, is in Potiphar's house. We know that Joseph, God blessed him, and then he was falsely accused, and he ends up in prison. And 17-plus years later, he now is Pharaoh's number two man. Jacob sends his boys to Egypt to buy grain because there's the famine and they're standing in Joseph's office. He sees them, recognizes them. They don't have a clue who he is. He finds out that his dad is alive and that his little brother Benjamin is doing well. And then he excuses himself and the Bible says he became very emotional. You can imagine. Well, we know he handled it well because of this. When Joseph revealed who he was, his brothers were instantly afraid. And he said, listen, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Don't be afraid. The second Man is Job. And we all know uh, how Job went through unbelievable suffering. He lost his children. He lost his homes. He lost his, his animals. He lost everything. He lost his health. But the Bible says that through it all, Job did not curse God. He did not blame God. And this is what he said. He said, 
when I am tried, I will come forth as gold. But Job did have a a little attitude towards three friends, so-called friends, who um, felt it was their business to counsel him and to unearth some sin that Job must have committed to bring this wrath of God on his life. This is what Job said about uh, those guys. He said, sorry comforters are you all. And that's probably where we got our uh, saying, with friends like you, who needs enemies? Now I'd like us to look at two herders. The first one is Jonah. Now, I honestly used to have an attitude towards Jonah um, until I heard uh, my friend Jim Greer preach a series of messages on, on Jonah. And before he started, he said, I just want everyone to understand something. There's a little bit of Jonah in each one of us. Well, we we know this about Jonah, that God had sent him to the Assyrian, to the capital of Assyria, uh, to Nineveh, and he wanted him to preach. (laughs) Jonah said, no. Now, we do know that you can run from God, but you can't hide. And so God and Jonah had a... uh, a little heart to heart, and Jonah said, okay, I'll go. And he goes to Nineveh, and he preaches. And then he goes up and sits on a side hill, and he watches. And they repent. They cry out to God in forgiveness. And Jonah was mad. Now, you have to understand something about the Assyrians. Their brutality was legendary. They had done some evil, brutal things to the children of Israel. And Jonah wanted them judged. He wanted God's wrath to come down on them. That's why he didn't want to go. He knew God was merciful. The second one is the prodigal's older brother. I love the story of the prodigal son. Now, there may be some prodigals here, or there may be some parents that have prodigal children, and what a wonderful picture of God's grace, his patience, his love. The, the younger son, you know, he wanted, he wanted everything now. He had things to do, places to go, and people to see, and money to blow. And he did. He squandered everything. And then one day, he finds himself competing with the, with the hogs for dinner. And he says, my, my dad's servants are better off than this. And he says, I'll just go home and be one of my dad's servants. So he's coming down the path, and his father comes out and looks down and sees him coming. I love this picture. He runs He runs to his son, puts his arm around him. His son says, hey, Dad, I'm not worthy to be called your son. He said, just let me be one of your servants. No. No. You know, kill the fatted calf. Let's get this guy cleaned up. Let's party. My son that was lost, he's now back. And they did. 
And they partied. But the father didn't see the oldest son. And so he went out looking for him. And the oldest son, he said, you know, he, he goes off and he, he, he blows the money. He spends it on prostitutes. He spends it on everything. And he, and he comes back. And you kill the fatted calf. You didn't even kill a goat for me. Who am I? Then his dad said, listen, you've always been with me. And everything that I have is yours. But your brother was lost and he's back. And we need to celebrate. You see, the older son had lost track of his position as a son. And that all the possession that his father's father had was, was ours. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is highlighting unity. The unity that we have in Christ and that, and that the maturing process, growing up in Christ, is part of that unity. And, and you do understand that we're all in that process of growing up in Christ. Each one of us. Verses 1 through 7, we see, that, uh, we see that what we have in common. The believer's walk towards maturity is a walk we all have in common. It's a walk that we all need to walk. We are to walk worthy of our calling. We do not walk to become righteous. It's a walk of the righteous. Wherever your path may take you, or your journeys, your, your daily errands, Paul says, walk worthy of being a Christian. Now, there's no such thing as a dichotomy in a Christian's behavior. There's no such thing as, you, you can't have a work life and a church life. You're not to have a school life and a church life. We're to have a Christ-like behavior wherever, whenever, and whatever task we're doing. Christ has given us everything to walk the walk the way the walk should be walked. This is what we have in common, that walk of maturity. We all are part of one body, one spirit, one glorious future, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We all have the same God and the Father who is over us all and in us all and living through every part of us. Well, that's pretty easy, isn't it? I mean, what we have in common usually brings us together. That's the easy part of unity. If you agree with me and I agree with you, well, hey. But Paul says we have our differences. We're uniquely different. And our differences are used in the common cause of growing up in Christ and unity. Christ has given each of us special abilities according to his grace. All our differences are to help lead us in the same direction. Maturity and unity. We're all gifted to the, through the grace of Jesus Christ Yes, 
Each one of us, we're gifted. I'm gifted. You're gifted. Maybe we should do a mark here. You know, I am gifted. The more our gifts are used, the better we become as a church. Some, he has given a special ability of apostle. To others, he's given a gift of being able to preach, the ability of winning people to Christ. Still others have the gift of caring for God's people as a shepherd does for his sheep, leading and teaching them in the ways of God. All for the same purpose, to grow us up in Christ and to bring us together in unity. Then in verses 17 through 32, Paul shows us what that looks like. He says, put off the old self. Let's go back to the prodigal. Uh, He's waking up in a new bed, fresh sheets, new clothes, new everything. It's dinner time. Go down to eat and everyone's at the table and I say, hey, where's little Joe? I don't know, I haven't seen him. He's not, not here. So they go out and they, they look for little Joe and they find him competing for dinner with the, with the hogs. No. That was the old. We don't have to eat with the hogs anymore. We don't have to compete with them anymore. Put off the old, every single part of the old. He says, put on the new. Now, often it's, it's hard to move forward or to keep moving forward into newness because we've never resolved some of the hurts of the past. Most people will bury it. They'll hold it in. But can I tell you that you can only do that for so long? It's kind of like a pressure cooker. Uh, There's so much pressure that gets in, and it has to let off steam. And you will let off steam somewhere on someone. Can I tell you about a man that I was counseling? He, He came to me for anger management. Usually, uh, it's the judge that tells somebody, uh, either you get some help or you're going to jail. This time, it was the man's wife. She said, either you get some help or I'm out of here. And so, she came with him to counseling. And he just had a a horrible, horrible temper. And we worked for, for six months and just, and then one week, everything broke loose. He said, when I was eight or nine years old, my dad came home drunk and sexually abused me. He said, I've been so afraid to tell my wife because I didn't know what she would think of me. I cannot tell you, I can't describe how much emotion poured out of that man. His wife was wonderful, so gracious, so forgiving, so loving, so understanding. But for 45 years, that beast was inside of him. 
And for the first time as a Christian, he could move forward. Now let's look, let's finish up, and and let's look at what I call the believer's resolve. Based upon Ephesians 4, the believer's resolve in changing the cycle of hurt. First, I will not live broken. Because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection, I am not broken. Romans chapter 5, last week, Mark had us all repeat, I am righteous. Ernie Larson writes, What we live with, we learn. And what we learn, we practice. What we practice, we become. And what we become has consequences. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, Paul says. Don't grieve him by the way you live. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as evil behavior. We do not need to eat with the pigs. Number two, I will, think, I will not think broken. Paul says we're to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, a new way to think, new attitudes towards life. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, he said, renew your minds. Now this is important. We will never change our behavior until we change our thinking. My thoughts control me. Paul says, for us to renew our minds. Now, I think renewing our minds comes in in three stages. The first thing is that we need to feed our mind. We need to feed on the Word of God. Secondly, uh, we need to free our mind. We need to confess our sin and to get rid of those attitudes that don't belong there. And thirdly, we need to focus our mind. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, 8, or Philippians 4, 8, how to do that. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, if, there be any, if there's anything excellent or anything worthy of praise, think on these things. And when our thinking is focused, God's peace keeps us. Three, I will not act broken. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. We live in such an angry world. And there are a lot of Christians that are, that are gripped by anger. There were, about three years ago, there were two men that uh, were driving in a mid-Michigan mid city. The one man evidently broke some driving etiquette and offended the other guy, and so now they're trying to cut each other off, and there's road rage. They both pull into the driveway. They both jump out of the car. They both have guns, and they both shoot each other, and they both are killed. In the one car was the wife and the daughter, and one of those men was a professing believer. People, what are we thinking? 
We do not have to eat with the pigs. I will not feel broken. This is, this is important because I think we all, we all have regrets in life. We all would love to do things differently. I had a friend that, uh, a little boy asking, he said, hey John, uh, would you like to go back and live life over again? He said, are you kidding? I barely made it through the first time. <laughs> but there are things that we would like to do differently. I wish I wouldn't have. I wish I would have. If only I had, boy, I've screwed my life up. Boy, I've made a mess of my life. You know, when some people looked at Moses, they saw the prophet, the meek man. And there were others that remembered him as the hothead. When some people looked at the Apostle Paul, they, they saw him, the, the great apostle of, uh, to the Gentiles, the, the preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some remembered him as Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor and blasphemer. See, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. We're not old. We're the new. Number five, I will not talk broken. No more lies. Tell the truth to each other. Control your anger. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those that hear them. Our words are fueled by our thinking. Our thoughts are fed by our meditations. Our meditations are influenced by what we read, listen to, watch, and the people that we associate with. Has anyone else noticed how crass and how rude the conversation is today? Paul tells us in Colossians, listen, season everything with grace. Now Paul sums everything up with this. In this walk to maturity, he says, listen, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Kind thoughts, kind words, kind actions, kind gestures, kind reactions. Kindness. Kindness is a a cornerstone to every healthy relationship. Now, I would not imply that changing a cycle of hurt is easy. But I'll say this, there's, there's nothing too hard for God. There's nothing weak about the name of Jesus. And there's no glitches in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because of Christ, the choice is ours. You know, there, there may be someone here that you, you've come today and you're, you're just broken and you, have, you feel you have no, no place to go, no direction to go. I just want you to know that the Bible says, call upon me and I will answer thee. He says, call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. There is hope. God heals the broken. That's why Jesus Christ came. Well, what if you're part of this cycle? 
how can I get started in the right direction? What, what if I, you know, I, I want to just stay off that, that cycle? How do, how do I stay on track, on the path of maturity? Well, I want to close with uh, an expressive reading by Max Lucado, and I think I'll answer those questions. It's called The Choice. It's quiet. It's early. My coffee's hot. The sky is still black. The world is still asleep. The day is coming. In a few moments, the day will arrive. It will roar down the track with the rising of the sun. The stillness of the dawn will be exchanged for the noise of the day. The calm of solitude will be replaced by the pounding pace of the human race. The refuge of the early morning will be invaded by decisions and be made, uh, decisions to be made and deadlines to be kept. For the next 12 hours, I will be exposed to the day's demands. It is now that I must make a choice. Because of Calvary, I'm free to choose. And so I choose. I choose love. No occasion justifies hatred. No injustice warrants bitterness. I choose love. Today I will love God and what God loves. I choose joy. I will invite my God to be the God of circumstance. I will refuse the temptation to be cynical, the tool of the lazy thinker. I will refuse to see people anything less than human beings created by God. I will refuse to see any problem anything less than an opportunity to see God. I choose peace. I will live forgiven and I will forgive so I can live. I choose patience. I will, look, I will overlook the inconveniences of the world. Instead of cursing the one who takes my place, I'll invite him to do so. Rather than complain that the wait is too long, I'll thank God for a moment to pray. Instead of clenching my fist, at new assignments, I will face them with joy and courage. I choose kindness. I will be kind to the poor, for they are alone, kind to the rich, for they are afraid, and kind to the unkind, for such is how God has treated me. I choose goodness. I will, be, I will go without a dollar before I take a dishonest one. I will be overlooked before I boast. I will confess before I accuse, I choose goodness. I choose faithfulness. Today I will keep my promises. My debtors will not regret my, their trust. My associates will not question my word. My wife will not question my love. And my children will never fear that their father will not come home. I choose gentleness. Nothing is won by force. I choose to be gentle. I if I raise my voice, may it be only in praise. If I clench my fist, may it only be in prayer. If I make a demand, may it only be of myself. I choose self-control. I am a spiritual being. After this body is dead, my spirit will soar. I refuse to let what will rot rule the eternal. I choose self-control. I will be drunk only by joy, I will be impassioned only by my faith. I will be influenced only by my God. And I will be taught only by Christ. I choose self-control. 
Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. To these I commit my day. If I succeed, I will give thanks. If I fail, I will seek his grace. And then, when this day is done, I will place my head on my pillow and rest. Because of Calvary, the choice is ours. May God help us to be healers and not herders. To encourage and help one another to maturity and the unity of the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love and your grace and your patience with each one of us. And God, as you grow us, God, we pray that we would grow and that we would love what you love. Build this church for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.